Basketball is, is, is like poetry in motion. Just coming down the court, you got a defender in your way, you, you take him to the left, you take him back to the right, and he's falling back, and you just, Jay, right in his face. And then you look at him, and then you say, what? It has been an amazing honor to coach in the Kale Center for the last 10 years. Just how goddamn bad can it get? This is by far the worst team that has ever sat in this locker room. Shot clock turned up. Yes, we do. Somehow, someway. Um, it is Wednesday morning, and we saw the final slots get filled last night uh, so that we have our confirmed final four, and it is beautiful. Uh, it is compelling. We've got Baylor and Houston on one side of the bracket and Gonzaga UCLA on the other side of the bracket, it is the big 12 versus the pac 12. Uh, that's just the reality. That's just the truth. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, it, it works for me at least. I don't, I don't yeah. know. You know. You're going to, we're just going to borrow Gonzaga for. Yeah. And the big 12 borrowing Houston. It, everything yeah. works out in the end. Right. Seems fair. Those would, be, those would be fun additions actually to those conferences. Yes. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Although, I mean, Gonzaga would be a little more challenging because of the lack of football aspect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yes, Houston would certainly work. I think small Catholic school football can work. Let's do it. Let's let's build a stadium in Spokane. Give me a homecoming opponent. (laughs) (laughs) Colorado was everybody's homecoming uh, opponent for like 10 years. Yeah, now we get Gonzaga. I love it. Guaranteed victory. Uh, they'll probably just hire Mark Few to coach them too, and they'll be like elite in yeah. eight years. That's just how it You're goes. right. You're right. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. We uh, The teams that are left, right, there's obviously a surprise in there. But that's always, I feel like it's always how it goes. Like this, the same result happens every year. Two or three teams that are, you know, not really su- surprising um, in any capacity, and then a and then a surprise. And, you know, as crazy as this year has been, that's where we end up, of course. Yeah, we're going to look at the Final Four in just a moment and kind of preview those games a little bit. But I want to start by looking back on the week that was with the Sweet 16 uh, and the Elite Eight. And, you know, looking through the results of the, uh, of these games, while we didn't have – I mean, we had our fair share of blowouts. Um, we, we also didn't have a lot of – I'll be honest with you, like compelling games. Um, Oregon State and Loyola Chicago was tight, but Loyola was just missing everything. It wasn't a very fun game to watch. Oregon State does that, uh, of course, and that is why they made it to the Elite Eight is because they make games that uh, really disgusting to watch. Uh, Houston and Syracuse, I mean, Syracuse had like one run, that Houston kind of stomped out pretty comfortably. 
Villanova, Baylor, again, Baylor, you know, Villanova was leading at like the 10 minute mark, but then Baylor comfortably pulled away down the stretch. The really that, that first day, the game of the day, and quite frankly, other than last night's UCLA Michigan game, maybe the game of these two rounds was, well, I, I'm forgetting about UCLA, Alabama, but all I mean to say is like Oral Roberts, Arkansas was awesome. Yeah. Completely yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was. Oral Roberts had a hell of a tournament, man. They're a fun team. Anytime, Did you, you know, watch like, that game live, by the way? No, I, I watched a little bit of it, but not really a large majority, but I was able to see some of it later. The thing that strikes me about it is that in college basketball, you don't get great shots on last-second situations, particularly when you go the full court. Since we don't advance the ball, we get a lot of half-court heaves at the buzzer. And so to put your best player in a position where they're shooting a – you know not an easy shot, but like for a Smith, that is a more than makeable look uh, to go ahead and give yourself a chance to win the game. I thought it was super impressive. Um, and he just, you know, two inches to the right. Uh, and they were in the elite eight. Yeah. I mean, he's a bucket getter. That's why you have guys like that on your team. You know, he's the number one leading scorer in the country. He's going to find a way to a, either get a very decent look in that situation or, you know, you have confidence in him that he can make a terrible look as well because that's part of his repertoire. So, yeah, I mean, a hell of a run for Oral Roberts. Um, out of all the teams to make a run in this tournament, that one is probably the most surprising, um, even though they didn't get as far as some of the others. But uh, incredible run for them. I want to look at uh, ucla Bama really quickly because that was – what some people were calling maybe the game of the tournament. Uh, obviously it goes to overtime and UCLA runs away with it. They scored 25 points in the second half. They scored 23 in overtime. Uh, and as good as Johnny Juzang has been for the Bruins, and he went fucking off last night against Michigan. Uh, and we're going to talk about him when we get to the final four segment. That was the Jaime Jaquez game. That was the game where like Jaime Jaquez told the world who he is uh, 17 points, eight rebounds, but made every clutch play down the stretch for them defensively knocking down shots, grabbing rebounds, whatever it was. Uh, he made all the plays. Were you like, did you think UCLA would be that tough of a matchup for someone like Alabama, Alabama? Well, everybody talks about the offense. They're the best defensive team in the country for much of the year, uh, or at least top three. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would say it's the most surprising win that UCLA had throughout their run. For sure. I mean, that was the one that would be most difficult. But I can't say it's super shocking. I mean, UCLA has a very similar style to what Alabama does. Um, I mean, like their, you know, their reputation, kind of an opposite way. Their reputation is that they're great defensively, UCLA, but they're actually one of the best offensive teams in the country. They just do it a little different way. Um, and they have a lot of switchable wings, which we've talked about a lot on the show, is super, super vital. Um, Tiger Campbell has played a little better in the last couple games after struggling earlier in the tournament, for sure. Um, you know, they're not healthy and they're still sitting in the final four. They lost their last four regular season games. Uh, pretty unbelievable stretch, obviously, for UCLA. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a surprise that they beat Alabama for sure, but it's not, you know, not as, not as surprising as some of these other results 
definitely. Like that's a game that you knew Alabama was going to have difficulties with. Definitely. The game that really I think was the most surprising for me in the Sweet 16 was Florida State and Michigan. I did not expect Michigan to handle them as well as they did. And look, the thing is, is that you like the this part of their bracket is actually really indicative of what the tournament is. You know, you have Florida State struggle with UNC Greensboro and Colorado dismantled Georgetown. Then Florida State kind of methodically dismantled Colorado through the stretch of that game. Uh, and Michigan, Michigan advances to face Florida State where they do the exact same thing to Florida State. It, it's just kind of one of those things where just because you're at the top of your game one night doesn't mean shit as you move forward to the second game. Like Florida yeah. State really struggled in that game and I think it's also because somebody on Twitter noted, noticed this last night. While both Florida State and UCLA are switchy, UCLA compacts their defense really like at the three-point line and below where Florida State extends it to the half court, uh, to the full court line. Uh, and so it, it's one of those things where I think Michigan simply had more space to operate against Florida State. And with their roster, their bigs in particular, that just gave them the kind of room they needed. Yeah, I mean, it's all about matchups. We see that a lot. I was definitely a little surprised about the Florida State result. I had them moving on in that game, but, you know, Michigan's a one seed for a reason. Like, let's let's not get it twisted here. That's a really talented ball club. Um, you know, they end up going down in the Elite Eight to UCLA, but that's a team that easily could have made the Final Four as well. You know, like yeah. so I'm a little surprised. I would say my biggest surprise was Loyola and Oregon State. Um, I thought Loyola was a pretty good matchup for them and would have taken them out pretty easily in in that game. Uh, that obviously did not happen. Um, you know, again, they didn't make a ton of shots. Oregon State has been on a crazy run, made a lot of difficult looks like they have been throughout the stretch, but that was the most surprising to me. And then in the lead eight, uh, Houston, you know, the, the Oregon State tied the game against Houston. I don't think they, at, at, toward the end of that second half, I don't think they ever actually took the lead, uh, but Houston got shaky there for a while and Oregon State started to hit some of those looks. Jared Lucas knocked down a three or two. Uh, obviously uh, Ethan Thompson was getting to the line. Like that, that was a matchup that I expected Houston to blow that open. And they did initially. Um, it just speaks to the way that Oregon State believed in their destiny and the way that they believed in what they were doing, that they were able to make it competitive in the second half and have a chance to win going down the stretch. Like that's the truth is they had a chance to win with like a minute and a half left. And that's all you can really ask for is to be in the game in the final two minutes with a chance to go to the final four. Uh, but Houston obviously gets it done. And then Baylor, Arkansas, I, kind of a very baylor game where they're in control the whole time. Uh, they just are. There's nothing that Arkansas is doing that's really phasing them. You know, they get, the lead is between eight and 15 for a lot of the game. Uh, Arkansas makes it close enough down the stretch, I guess, uh, to lose by nine. But that was, I think, the game where I looked at Baylor and was like, all right, yep, these guys are fully back uh, mm -hmm. to what we thought they were. Uh, not to say that they've struggled in this tournament necessarily, uh, but Jared Butler got going a little bit, certainly. I don't know, man. Uh, they look – who, if, if we get a Baylor-Gonzaga final, we are in for a fucking treat. Yeah, which is what we want. You know, like that's been a matchup that we've wanted to see throughout. Um. Yeah, I think Baylor has definitely gotten themselves back to a pretty comfortable place after their COVID letdown um, for a bit there. 
I what you said is correct. I think that game was a lot more about Baylor than it was about Arkansas. I would honestly argue Arkansas did pretty well to stay in that game um, the way that they did with how, you know, that was Baylor was surgical in that game. I thought very, very comfortable. Um, that could have easily been a blowout. So good on Arkansas to make it a somewhat compelling game. Um, and that's why we talked about them having an opportunity to make a run at the final four at some point too, just because of the makeup of their roster. Um, you know, you run into Baylor who plays an A basketball game for them and you're not going to move on. And that's what happened. But uh, that was definitely the matchup of the elite eight where you had the most talent on the court, in my opinion, like the two best teams matching up against each other. See, I actually thought that was USC Gonzaga as far as like, certainly as far as raw talent. Um, it was yeah. just, I mean, it was a non-competitive game uh, from basically the jump. And it just speaks to that. It's a problem that USC had all year that we discussed all year that their guards were just not good enough. Like they were fine. You know, they had pieces there. Right. Taj Edie would have nights where he was really, really cooking. Drew Peterson would have games where he was a X factor on the wing. Uh, but like Ethan Anderson, I don't know. I saw a lot of praise for Ethan Anderson a couple of weeks ago. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've never seen it with him. Uh, I get that he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but to me, like he's not, <laughs> he's not good enough for the non mistakes thing to be worth anything. Uh, for me and so like it's one of those things is like great you made no mistakes you also didn't make any plays um yeah and... i think he he was making some plays for a little bit there but yeah i mean yeah the tournament you see what you there was a lot more of what you're talking about where he's just kind of a guy who's out there yeah um the one thing that i do want to mention about usc is that quietly isaiah mobley has started to figure it out in college a little bit um he's got a gutter mentality which for his talent level, it, you know, okay, but like he's talented. There's no doubt. He's 6'10, he can move, he can dribble, he can shoot, like all of that. But if his brother Evan had his mindset, uh, it would be, you know, game over. Mm -hmm. It would be good night, go to sleep, wake up in the morning and try something else. Because, uh, and, and that's the thing is, as, as sleepy as Evan was, he finished with 17 and five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got beat up a little bit early. I mean, you, you watch that game though. Like Drew Timmy was thrown in a lot of garbage too. He took a lot see, of low I percentage saw you shots. Tweet that and I don't, I don't agree early on. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see the first five minutes, so I can't see okay. that. But like he, after that, after the first five minutes, like, you know, I'm, the first bucket I saw him have, he had that spin move where he threw that left-handed prayer up off the glass that went in where he started flexing. And from like that point forward, like he was taking tough shots. They went in. Give credit to him. Like, Drew Timmy is a guy who can finish tough buckets. He plays below the rim compared to a lot of the, you know, elite NBA prospects out there, um, you know, but he got it done. And he certainly was more physical than Evan. That's that's the thing that people have talked about all year long with Evan is that he, first of all, he's skinny, so it doesn't matter how tough you are. He's going to get pushed around the block. But he also is a little soft um, at this point in his development, which, you know, he's a young kid. Like, he can get away from that. That's not that difficult once you get stronger, but – that's like the one major flaw of his game. And it showed in this matchup. You talked a lot about the guards for USC. I, I focus more on the wings. They don't have any. And, and, and in a game against Gonzaga, who has both guards, wings, big men, whatever, like they're easily the most talented roster in the country. It's not even close. Every hole that you have is going to get exploited. 
And of course it did. I mean, Corey Kispert was phenomenal. Drew Timmy had an excellent game, especially in the first half. Jalen Suggs, you oh, know, is just Jalen Suggs. Triple double. Yeah. I mean, like, people didn't even really talk about him during the game. I'm not going to lie. I think I'd probably take him first overall. Wow. Um, and Kate Cunningham is a phenomenal prospect too, but I think he, he's a little bit more of, you know, what he is as a guy, like he, his ceiling is very high or, uh, is lower than Jalen Suggs is, but his floor is also like worlds lower or higher. I mean, like he's, he's, you, you know, he's going to be a good NBA player. Suggs, there's a little more risk involved, but man, he could be a special, special player. And it's not really all his skill set. What I love most about him is his demeanor. He is so calm and collected, no matter the situation. He always makes the right play, even though he's more athletic than everyone on the court. Like he could easily run up and down and take bad shots and, you know, like try to use his athleticism against opponents all the time. But it's not, it's not his mentality. He, he, he makes the right play all the time. And for a team that, that, that is that talented, you know, that's incredible because he's getting a lot of talented pieces, the ball in the right situations every single time down the court. Yeah. He finishes with three turnovers. I think one of those was a mishandled pass from somebody like he, I think what strikes me about him and I tweeted this was his motor, like his motor on the, on the defensive glass in particular, like he wants to start the break. He is the reason why Gonzaga plays at the pace they do. He is the reason why they have adopted this mentality of push the ball up the floor, not just via the dribble, but they pass ahead better than any team in college basketball. And it's not even close. And it gives them these early break matchups where they can get guys like Corey Kispert layups uh, because no, like, when you're getting back in transition, you're worried about Corey Kispert spotting up and giving you 30 from behind the arc. Uh, yeah. Everything about his motor opens up the floor for Gonzaga in a way that is what makes them the juggernaut. Like at the end of the day, mm. man, Drew Timmy had 23 and Corey Kispert finishes with 18 and eight, but like Jalen's game was what made that game never close. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Drew Timmy obviously set the tempo of the game by being extremely physical early on and letting Evan Mobley know this wasn't going to be an easy night for him. Um, as you said, Evan got his got his by the end. Like, that's what's scary about him, right, is that he didn't play great. He missed a couple bunnies. He got physically, you know, pushed around early in the game. He still ended up having a very solid night. Like, he can get to the point where he's a problem at the next level. We'll see. But, you know, at the end of the day, Gonzaga, correct correct me if I'm wrong. Like, tell me if you think I'm wrong here. But all five of their starters are going to be in the NBA. That's a serious, serious thing when you're talking about a college basketball team. Um, and Andrew Nemhard probably will be as well. Or at least he's yeah, going to have a shot. Yeah, that would be the only one where I'm not sure. Uh, but he's exceptional. Yeah. I mean, because Suggs, Kispert, Timmy – Ajayi, who am I missing? Like, by the way, Ajayi has become one of my favorite players in the country. Oh, he's a perfect. He's perfect for that team. Perfect for that team. Oh, man, I love I love that group. Uh, so let's let's talk about their opponent, uh, UCLA. UCLA. Let's. I mean, let's transition this into the Final Four, mainly because we just spent you know six minutes talking about Gonzaga. Um, UCLA. I mean, this was not a, a fluke game. They they provided that defensive matchup against Michigan that I kind of compared to Florida State earlier. 
and they played their game. They were within striking distance. You know, it was a two point, four point game for much of the early first half, low scoring, but then they go on a little mini run and lead 27, 23 at the break. And the second half was they survived. They got up by, I think, seven or nine. And then Michigan made their run. They go up 43, 42. And UCLA responds. And to me, like, that's what this comes down to is UCLA responded. And Michigan has a shot to win the game twice uh, with, it, namely, Franz Wagner uh, with a wide open three that he airballed, uh, which was tough, dude. Like, and he's received a lot of online harassment for that, which sucks. Uh, yeah, he was terrible. Amazing for them. Yeah, he was year. terrible at this that game, which is tough. Last night was tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask the question on UCLA really quick. Uh, in particular, I want to talk about Johnny Juzang. I got to be honest. Like, earlier this season, I hated Johnny Juzang's game. Uh, I thought he was a terrible fit for Mick Cronin because he's a gunner. Like, he wants to go out there and get his shots up, and I wasn't sure that he really cared about doing anything else. And with a Mick Cronin team, like, that's a problem. And yet – the counterbalance of that is that with a Mick Cronin team, you kind of need somebody like that. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who is supremely confident offensively and can go create their own shot. He had he had a much better scoring year than I even realized. Like I, I watched him have a couple of games where I was like, man, he's hitting some daggers. Like this is impressive shooting. Uh, here are a couple scoring totals that he had this year. 27 on the road at Stanford. 25 at Washington State, 32 at Washington, 25 at Colorado, 23 against Michigan State, 27 against BYU, and 28 last night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he can shoot the fuck out of the ball. There's no doubt. Um, you know, he's developed over the course of the year, gained confidence for sure. I think he's gone from underrated to probably a little overrated now. Like, people are talking about how – they're going to use him as an NBA prospect against Calipari. And it's like, is he going to make the NBA? Probably. Yeah. Like he's going to get a shot for sure. But like, I don't know. There's still some holes in his game, you know, but he's in a position now where he, him and Jaime Jaquez have to score. Right. So like they, they're a lot more free. Chris Smith being on that roster. I think the results of the season for those two guys statistically would be a little bit different. Um, it took them a while to get going early on because they're trying, you know, you have to figure out the comfortability of, all right, Chris Smith, our go-to guy is gone. What are we going to do? How do we, how do we fix the offense here? And obviously they both have kind of come into their own at the same time, which is how they're in the final four, despite being in the first four. Um, they often complement each other nicely, which has been great. Like, I don't think it's been a while since both of them had an off night. Um. So that's, that's big for them. And, you know, he is a very confident player. Um, He's big enough that he can, he's, you know, I like to say people are open all the time. He's open all the time because he can, he can get his shot anywhere on the court. Um, And he's carrying them right now. Like we talk a lot about Oregon state's confidence, his confidence for UCLA is what's carrying the team right now. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, uh, I've been trying to decide is what, what level of NBA prospect Johnny Juzang is. Uh, He's got classic shooting guard size, you know, six, six long, uh, or I guess not particularly long, but like he is, this is heretical coming from me. 
there is a lot of Clay Thompson in his game in the way that like he is most comfortable either shooting on the catch or facing up with one dribble combos, two dribbles max to get to jumpers. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, can he get to the rim? Sure, of course. Uh, But it really comes down to like the fact that he is a lethal jump shooter. Mm -hmm. He is, over the last 15 games, Sam Vecini tweeted this out yesterday, 44% from the field, 36% from three, 91% from the free throw line. And that is as, you know, his shot selection maybe has some uh, room to grow, so to speak. But again, he has to. He has to for this team. That's he has to be taking yeah. tough shots. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, man. Like I'm, he's not in any of San Vecini's recent mock drafts or anything like that as a first rounder. And I think that's fair. Uh, I'd be interested to see what he does with another year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he'll come back. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the bracket. Okay. Well, actually let's, let's look at this really quick. <sighs> with Houston, and, or pardon me, with Gonzaga and UCLA. Like, if you were, if you had, I think Gonzaga opened as like 11 point favorites. There, I saw them at 13 and a half. Okay. Where are you on that? Um, I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, um, it, you know, and partially, you know, UCLA is playing without two of their better players. Uh, you think we, I think we need to remember that as well. Um, I just, could it be closer than that? Yes. I, I don't see a lot of paths to UCLA winning. I'm not going to lie. Um, everything that Gonzaga does and did to the USC, they're going to do to UCLA. And, you know, I know they're different. They're different styles, different teams. But, I mean, Cody Riley guarding Drew Timmy is not happening. Not happening. Straight up. Like, there's no chance that that's happening. Um, Tiger Campbell... We'll see if he plays the game of his life, but Andrew Nemhard and Jalen Suggs are better than him, straight up better than him. Um, you know, Juzang and Hakez can give Corey Kispert some is- some issues, Jai as well. Like that can be a little bit of a better matchup, but I could see it being close early in UCLA trying to, you know, gum up the game, make it mucky, gross. I could see that, but once Gonzaga goes on a run and if they ever get it to 10, the game is over. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think the interesting matchup here for me, you you noted Cody Riley and Drew Timmy, uh, but it's at the end of the day for me, it's uh, Johnny Juzang and probably Ai. Like yeah. those are two guys who will be matched up on each other a lot, and I don't know. That's that's interesting. I mean, you'll see like Jaime Hawkes and Juzang kind of like I, I think a little bit of both, but I would imagine that they put II on um juzang just so his length creates problems with the shots i think gonzaga is a team that can live with the way jaime haka scores like they, they will 100 live with how hard he has to work to score and he could do it but like he doesn't get a lot of easy he is their guy who grinds out of possession and gets to the line gonzaga can live with that what gonzaga i don't think will want to live with is juzang going off with catch and shoot threes, one dribble pull ups, etc. Mm-hmm. That that would at least be my approach to it. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he's that's the best matchup for UCLA because Kispert is, you know, he's a phenomenal player, but he's not exactly a guarder. 
Like he's not a guy who's going to shut down your other opponent's best wing. So he'll get some opportunities. If he can get Kispert in foul trouble, that would be huge. You know, yeah. like if, if Kispert is having to miss a good stretch of time, because he is an, he's the assassin for Gonzaga. I know it doesn't seem like it because he's their leading scorer, but like, I know that game wasn't really that close yesterday, but he hit two threes at crucial points where USC was trying to make it somewhat interesting that it's just like, no fam, like this isn't happening. You're not coming back. What like USC had gotten it down to 13 at one point in the first half. Kispert comes back in immediately hits the top of the key three. Yep. Um, and then I want to say it was, they got it down to like 17 in the second half. And I, I know, I understand like that's still not a very close game, but immediately came back in drew Timmy came out and he hit another top of the key three to kind of like, spell a seven or eight oh usc run like he just has that ability to hit huge shots in crucial moments to keep gonzaga very comfortable yeah i agree with you um he only goes three for ten and yet he was sensational um yeah i mean i i i would say that uh gonzaga might not go off right uh, but I would be surprised if they don't win by, you know, 15 plus. Um, yeah. I don't know. The one thing that gives me pause there is just like when, if they're going to play a more up and down open style against UCLA, a team that doesn't really turn the ball over very often, like UCLA could put up points against them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I could see it being within 10 points, but I, I would be very surprised if it's like a tight nail-biting game down the stretch. I just think Gonzaga, there's, they have, you know, they're an ocean. There's too many waves. There's too yeah. many waves. Like UCLA has had a good run. Uh, there's no doubt about it. They've played a lot of good teams, but Gonzaga is just a different beast. I mean, you, neither you or I had Michigan in the Final Four. I would have said that they had the third best odds in their own region to get out of it. Um, I had them losing in the sweet 16 to Florida state. I think really, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would think a lot of the country had Florida state and or Alabama getting out of that region before Michigan. Um, and obviously UCLA was a surprise, but there's a reason they're here. Like they have that matchup, but this is just a different beast, man. Like, yeah, no, this is no disrespect to UCLA. I would be surprised if Gonzaga loses period. I'm not going to lie, but this game, is a game that they don't need their A game to win. And, you know, obviously in that situation, I'm going to take a Gonzaga team. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I just I, – I, the way you said it earlier, like I, I'm struggling to see many paths to a win for UCLA. Um, all right, let's, let's look at Houston and Baylor. Um, I don't, this, this is a really enticing matchup to me. Um, Baylor does a lot of early possession action that then calls somebody into making a one-on-one play with like Mitchell or Butler to, cre- to then create opportunities for others. I think that kind of plays into Houston's hands defensively, quite frankly. Uh, Jarrell is one of the f- most fun defenders to watch ever in the country. Yeah. He's just a fun player to watch. He's a junkyard dog. Yeah, it's kind of. This is going to be one of those games that I don't think this is going to be an aesthetically pleasing game. No, I mean, uh, if you Houston, like, no. if you like points, if you like points, yeah. uh, 
I think both teams' offenses play into the other team's defensive strengths. Yeah, it's I'm I'm in a weird spot with Houston because I don't like them that much. Like I, I talked about earlier in the year, I didn't love anyone in that bracket. Um, and who I was like, somebody I don't love is going to come out of that region, which obviously here we are. Um, but you see like how the region played out and you kind of understand why. Like Houston has played nothing but double-digit seeds to get to the Final Four. The easiest run in the history of the NCAA tournament to get here. Um, but at the same time, like looking at this matchup, like this is a matchup they can absolutely win. 100% Houston could win this game, and I would not be surprised. Uh, they have a defensive mentality. They're very switchable. They have a lot of guys who can hurt you. Um, and they're going to muck up the game. You know, they're going to make it uncomfortable for Baylor. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won. I got to say, like, I know that I don't trust them as much. And obviously they're in the final four, which is an accomplishment. I'm not, I don't want to take away from that, but the way that they got there is like very much what I expected from that region. Like a lot of ugly teams that I don't love. Um, but we'll see. I mean, at Baylor, the way Baylor played yesterday, they're not winning that game. They're not, yeah. they're, Houston is not winning that game. Let me say, but if they get Baylor on an off night, they can win. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to go with a Gonzaga Baylor final. I think we're here. Um, Baylor's ability to go to their matchup zone or their, you know, crazy hellish man to man defense uh, Houston's pretty good against zone. I got to be honest. Uh, they, they've looked good in the last few rounds. They really commit to getting the ball to the high post. Uh, and when they get Giroux in that spot in particular, it's night night. Yeah. I mean, Houston's, it's so interesting to watch because they're not very good offensively. Like if you like, if you just take it possession by possession, but they're so dominant, I guess, for lack of a better term on the offensive glass. Like they create so many extra possessions for themselves that eventually the ball goes in the hoop and, you know, it might not be pretty or it might not be like statistically the most pleasing thing you've ever seen on a spreadsheet, but they get it done. If they get more possessions than the other team, you have more opportunities to score. Um, And that's, that's how they approach it. Like nothing, nothing they do is pretty. So uh, Baylor better be ready for a fight. Yeah. Uh, All right. When you look at, if you look at, are you, you're picking Baylor to go to the title game? Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to record before the national title game again. So mm-hmm. what do you see happening? Gonzaga Baylor would be a hell of a game. Um, I think it's, it's sort of, I kind of laugh like Davion Mitchell has finally gotten the lottery praise that he deserves. Like his first step is absolutely Special. elite. It might be, it might be the number one trait of any prospect in the entire country, honestly. Like that's how, that's how quick he is off the dribble. Um, he's going to be a great NBA player. And I love his mentality. We talked about Jero being a junkyard dog. Like Mitchell is that too. Like he's going to go into the NBA and try to make his opponent miserable on every single night. Um, I love his game. Baylor is, is a really fun team. Um, you know, obviously Jared Butler is a guy who is fully capable of carrying a team and, uh, I think for me, it's how do you pick this game, right? I think it's it, – let's assume both teams play their best ball. And uh, in that situation, Gonzaga wins. And that's no disrespect to Baylor. Like, I think this is the best college Gonzaga's team. is the best college basketball team that I have seen since that Kentucky 
whatever that was 10 years ago now, um, the Anthony Davis team. Um, they're that good. And if they play even a solid game of basketball, I don't see Baylor finding a way to beat them. Um, I think it could, I think it'll be a good game. I, I'd be surprised if it was a blowout because I think both teams are really talented. Uh, they've been the two best teams that we've seen all year pretty much throughout. So it would be poetic, I guess, to see them in the finals. Yeah, I, I'll say it like this. When you go man for man, the biggest advantage that Gonzaga has in that game is Drew Timmy. But Baylor has a physicality under underneath that he could struggle with. You know, not to say that it's going to shut him down automatically, but like Baylor's what Baylor lacks in the length underneath of USC, they more than make up for with physicality. And with Drew Timmy, he's crafty enough and strong enough that if you're an Evan Mobley type, like he's still going to get his angles, I think. Uh, going up against more physical guys underneath, it's going to be interesting whether he, number one, has the space to operate the high post like he likes to. Like, will Gonzaga be able to create that space for him? Because if he can, then he could have a big night. Uh, but if he's forced into doing the majority of his work backing somebody down, that's where uh, that is not a recipe that I would like for Gonzaga. Um, I think Gonzaga is better on the wing. The co- the combination of Kisper and Ayayi is like really deadly for them, really deadly for them against someone like uh, Baylor. But at the guard spots, man, I mean. That's advantage. That's I think advantage Baylor because they have they have a full two guys. I still think Gonzaga is more like one and a half, one one point seven five, which is wild because they're so good. Obviously, that's just how good Baylor is. Right uh, at, at the one and two uh, mm-hmm. between Mitchell and Butler. Yeah, so, uh, Mitchell's probably going to go on Kispert though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just talking about like personnel as it progresses through a lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing with Kispert is he is just as com- if you. I think the problem with putting Mitchell on Kispert actually is that then they're just going to make all of Kispert's action off ball, mm-hmm. and now you have one of maybe the best perimeter defender in the country not guarding the primary attackers off the bounce. Yeah. I mean, that that's the crazy part about Gonzaga is like, right. okay, we have a first team all American. We're going to run him off ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really, I don't know if Suggs was or wasn't, but like they have, again, all, all their whole entire lineup could be in the NBA. Like they, they're going to create a mismatch no matter what you do. Um, I, we would be remiss to not talk about Butler versus Suggs because that could be such a fun matchup. Um, it will be so interesting. Like if Jalen Suggs wins that matchup against a veteran and, you know, Jared Butler is probably the best point guard in the country. Damn close to it. If not, um, like if Jalen Suggs shows up in a national title game as a freshman and is game in that matchup, like that is going to be an incredible storyline too. Um, you know, I'm smiling a little bit, just thinking about what this game could be. So hopefully it comes together. Yeah, I want to see it. And if those two matched up and both played their A game, I say it's a push. Yeah, like, that's how good both of those guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah, I'm going with Gonzaga as my national winner. Uh, I, I would say that if they played Baylor, God, it would be so wonderful to see like an 81-78 kind of game uh, after some of the 50s that we've seen yeah. put up in this tournament. Um, but we'll see, man. Uh, the next time we talk to you guys, we will have a national champion. Uh, and, you know, we're going to space out the offseason content, obviously, a little bit more. We're not going to be chatting every week, certainly. Uh, but we'll do some, like, conference recaps and, uh, you know, projections looking forward. I want to do a deep dive into the Pac-12 here soon because this season, the way it's played out has huge implications for the future. Um, yeah. And I'm really fascinated to see where it goes. So, yeah, I, I hope uh, everybody has enjoyed their March Madness. I, I can't believe it's almost over. Yeah, it's great. I don't think we've talked about this on this show, but um, it, it's been this way for a little bit now. Um, but someone is going to win their first national championship coach. None of these coaches have won before, so it'll be a good result for any of them. I got to say, I'm pulling for Gonzaga. Uh, I would like to see them silence all the stupid hatred out there yeah. about how they can't win. Um, that program is deserving of a national title, and I think they do things the right way. I like Mark Few a ton. I've always enjoyed watching their teams play. Um, I hope they find a way. I'm 100% sure for Gonzaga. Uh, so, All right, folks, we'll see you next week. Adios.